All right. Well, good morning, my friends. Let us eat some manna. We are in the book of Exodus, and we are going to be starting chapter uh, 17 this morning. Let me get my uh, electronic notebook out here. Okay. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, uh, and we glorify you, Father, when we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Uh, You are the king of the universe. You are the creator of all things, Father. Everything lives and moves and has its being in your presence and in your spirit. Lord, and um, we have been separated from you, every single one, Lord, as the word says, by our own sin, each of us. Uh, like sheep has gone astray. Each one of us has turned to uh, our own way, Father. And you laid on your Son, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And your Scripture teaches us that by His stripes we are healed, Father. Uh, We thank you, Father God, that we don't have uh, immunity from trials and tribulations, Father, but we have something greater than that. We have immunity from death. We have immunity uh, from separation from you, Father, that because of the blood of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, We are one with you through him, Father, for all eternity. And no one and nothing can ever, ever, ever take that away from us, Father. That is our blessed hope. Uh, Lord, that is the joy that we have, Father. Not in this life, Lord, but in the one to come. And Father, we pray that you would give us a heavenly perspective. Lord, it is hard for us to see beyond the things of this world because it impacts us every single day, Lord every single day. And we are beset and sometimes it seems overcome, Lord, by trials and tribulations and pain that's all around us and that's in the world today, Father. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the world and the circumstances of this life with your eyes, Lord, and according to your economy. We confess to you, Lord, that it is not in our nature to do so. And we ask, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, supernaturally, Lord, you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, and you would give us hearts to feel what it is that you feel for this world, and that we would have love and we would have compassion that would overcome and overwhelm the sin and the darkness of our own hearts, Lord, and then hopefully the sin and the darkness of the areas that you put us in, the surroundings of our lives, Father, that sometimes seems to be beset by sin and darkness and death and pain. Father, we pray that you would make us your children, Lord, in every sense of the word, Lord. And anything that we ever have had that we've held back from you, any of who we are, anything of our hearts, Lord, that we've kept from you, that we would surrender it to you today, Lord, knowing that you have in your heart for us, Father, eternal glory and salvation. And that the thoughts that you have towards us are never to harm us, but to prosper us and to give us a future and a hope. Father, I pray that you bless each of your saints here today. I pray that you would impact their hearts by your spirit through your word and that you would speak to them words of love today, Father. Thank you so much for being our spiritual husband, Lord. Help us to be the bride that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Amen means I agree. Uh, You agree? (laughs) Oh boy, we need Jesus bad, don't we? I mean, every single day. 
And <clears throat> here's what I love. One of the things uh, that impacted me so much as a young, uh, a young Christian uh, learning about the ministry and, 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 and going to different to pastors' conferences. And really, I, I came up in the faith in a very, it, for me, what I consider a privileged a privileged, privileged upbringing. Uh, of course, with my growing up in my in my father's house and being taught the scriptures every day, sometimes force-fed the scriptures every day. And then, as a young man, coming back to the Lord and giving my heart to Him and saying, "Lord, I've made a mess of my life, and I want You to take control of it, Lord. I want You to change my direction, my trajectory. I want You to fix the emptiness that's inside of me. I want You to put Your joy there. And Father, I offer to You my service." And I know that you've placed a calling on my life, and I submit to you, Lord, to do with my life as you see fit. And I pray, Lord God, that you would instruct me and that you would train me in your ways. And so I began to go to some of the Calvary Chapel pastor's conferences, and I got to sit under the likes of Joe Foch and Chuck Smith and Mike McIntosh, and I mean some of the great preachers of our day and of our time, uh, and to be exhorted by the likes of Dave Hunt, uh, and, and some of some of these great men of uh, great men of God, and one of the greatest things that I ever heard, uh, as I was learning about grace, because I grew up with a legalistic mindset, uh, and when I first came back to Christ, I became even more legalistic. And I was, a, I was an official fruit inspector, you know what I'm saying? So I would inspect your life, and I'll tell you all the things that's wrong with you that you're doing wrong. You're probably going to go to hell for it, but, you know, I'll pray for you. And uh, I'm doing fantastically. It's too bad about you, you know. Uh, and, and just, just really, I, 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 the Lord confronted me with the fact that I was a, become, had become, in my zeal for the Lord, I'd become a Pharisee. I'd become one of the religious hypocrites. Uh, and one of the greatest things I ever learned in my life, the, if not the greatest thing I ever learned in my life, other than that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was that his grace and his mercy and his love towards all of us is all-encompassing and never-ending. And, and if we read, as we read about the life of Jesus, when he would go into a place, his eyes would immediately seek out the person with the greatest need. And when the religious hypocrites would come to him and say, what kind of a prophet spends time with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors? Jesus would look at them and he would say, it is not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. And the great conflict that Jesus had with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees is that they did not realize that they too were sick. Sick unto death with the sickness of sin. And because they didn't have the ability to confess their sins, to be open about who they were and say, yes, in this heart, outwardly I may appear to be religious, outwardly I may do all the right things, but inside there is adultery, inside there is covetousness, inside there is hatred and animosity and murderous thoughts. And so I stand because of my heart condemned before God. That's what Jesus came to teach the people. That all of us, and that's the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. It was not so that people could obey the law in all of its aspects and therefore justify themselves before God. The law came as a tutor to us, teaching us that we cannot reach the heights of righteousness that God expects. There is one, one in the history of all mankind who reached that perfection, and his name was Jesus. 
His name was Jesus. I love the Gracie stuff. I love when the apostles begin to go out and they begin to make disciples of the cross and they're going into the Gentile nations and these people that are backed up with all sorts of awful, horrible, paganistic practices and their lives are messy and, 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 and their homes are disasters and their communities are falling apart and the apostles would go into these places and they'd begin to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. They didn't go in sharing, you better clean this place up, mister. You better get your act together. Otherwise, you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to have a relationship with God. No, no. They came in and they said, somebody loves you. Somebody loves you while you're an enemy of God. Somebody loves you. And gave everything that you might be reconciled to your Father in heaven. That's why gospel means good news. Good news. But the religious people who had become followers of Jesus Christ but still were holding on to so much of the old religion of Judaism began to go around to these Gentile towns and teach them, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the laws of Moses. And Paul, Apostle Paul, St. Paul, contended hotly with them over this issue. And finally it came to the point where the church fathers all met together in Jerusalem and they brought this up and they began to speak about it and, and debate this issue, what is expected of the Gentiles. And Peter stood up and he said one of the most beautiful things that has ever been said that we all to this day can be thankful for. And he said this, why... Would we, as Jews, put a burden upon the Gentiles that neither us nor our forefathers were able to bear? None of us ever kept the law. The greatest among us never kept the law to perfection. Jesus didn't die so that we could keep the law. He died because we can't. Salvation is saying, I accept this fact. I accept this truth. I'm separated from God not because of something that happened to me, but simply because of who I am. I'm a sinful man. We are all of us born to sin, to selfishness, to self-centeredness, to wrath, to malice, to anger. Name the sin. I don't like when people start talking about specific sins. Because it doesn't matter today where you sit and what sin besets your life. Sin is what separates us from God. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to meet, reach the moon, if you get to the top of the Empire State Building or if you're still down on the sidewalk, you're still too far away. You're too far away. Jesus came to span the gap. He spans the gap between man and God. Remember that old Michelangelo painting of the two figures? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? That's what that's supposed to be. That's what he's talking about. That's what that painting means. It's him reaching out to man and spanning that gap that we could never, ever cross. God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion. And it's evident in suffering. It's evident in pain. It's evident in our own shortcomings. When you're farthest from God, 
is oftentimes when you're closest to him. And what I mean by that is when you get to that dark place that you've been. And you feel, I'm so far from the love of God. I feel like I'm in such a dark place. And you begin to understand and recognize your need. That's when the God who sticks closer than a brother comes to your side and says, Where are your accusers? There are none, Lord, and neither do I accuse you. And he wraps his arms around us and he envelops us in his love. That's the gospel. And that's all the gospel. You're dismissed. No. <laughs> but now what do I have to do? You can't do this. You can't. You don't smoke. You don't chew. You don't go with the girls that do. You know, this kind of thing. You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. Friends, read his word. Friends, read his word. And I promise you, I promise you that if you give your heart and your life and your soul to Jesus Christ and you study his word, he will begin to speak to you. As you walk in the spirit and it's as simple as that decision, I'm going to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. I'm going to seek after the things of the spirit and not after the things of the flesh. God will reveal himself to you and God will begin to speak to your heart. And no preacher and no priest and no pastor and no teacher or no evangelist needs to stand up at a pulpit and tell you what God needs you to do with your life because he wants to tell you that. Within that framework, understand God will never go against his word, ever. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst men for a while. This, not the book, not the ink, not the paper, not the leather, not the binding, the message that God has given us in this book is His Word. Which part of it do you think we can do away with? Which part? If a relative, oh, you're one of your closest relatives, the person that means the most to you in your life, went away on a faraway journey and was gone for years and you didn't see them and you were sad and you missed them and they sent you a letter telling you all of their heart and all of the experiences that they were having and all of the thoughts that they had towards you, which part of that letter would you cross out and put away? You would read it every day. And study it every day because you feel a connection with that person who you love. Friends. This is God's love letter to you. And he gives it to you. Know me. Know me. Understand my plan for your life. And nobody can ever, ever take that away from you. Nobody. And when God tells you to go or to stay or to do this or not to do that, no one can contradict what God puts in your heart. Study his word. In Exodus chapter 16, uh, Dad talked about the manna, the manna that God gave the children of Israel as they began uh, to grumble because there was no food. They began to grumble against Moses and say, you bring us out here to die. Did you bring us out here to starve to death, Moses? And so God prayed, or excuse me, Moses prayed to God and God sent manna. And we've talked about this before, but manna actually, it means in the Hebrew, in that ancient Hebrew language, what is it? Because when the dew settled on the ground in the morning and then it lifted, the manna is what remained. This uh, crusty 
do kind of thing. That was what the manna was. And no one had ever seen anything like it before. And so literally, when they walked out of their little huts or their tents, when they walked out of their tents and they looked on the ground, they went, manna, manna, hey, manna, manna, oh, manna. That's why it's called manna. What is it? It's bread come down from heaven, not, not earthly bread, not the kind of bread that they'd eaten when they were Egypt that they loved so much, the yummy, yummy, squishy, yummy bread. But it was a different kind of bread. It was a spiritual bread. It was a bread that God had sent. And inside of that bread had every single thing that they needed to maintain their health. You understand? And the nutrients that they needed to fortify themselves and to be strong, everything that they needed was in that bread. Why? Not because it was bread. Because God sent that bread. Because it was the bread sent down from heaven. Because it was the bread that God had given them to eat. And there was the, only gather what you need. Don't take above and beyond what you need. And what do the people do? They take, they say, well, I'd better get some for tomorrow too. And I might want a midnight snack, you know. Guess, guess who would do that? <laughs> and, uh, but then what would happen is the manna would rot. Because God had said, just take what you need. Always God is showing you and I pictures of our relationship with him in the Old Testament. God gives us what we need. You ever notice that? You ever, you ever feel like God's not giving you what you want? Anybody ever? Is it just me? <clears throat> Lord, I don't understand. I've prayed for this thing, <laughs> you know, the prayer of faith, no doubt, right? And I don't understand why you're not doing this stuff that I need you to do. And God doesn't do it. And then when I look back on the situation three months later, I realize God did exactly what I needed him to do. And God gave me enough to get to the next day. He has always been faithful. He's always been faithful. <clears throat> now, as we get to chapter 17, <clears throat> chapter 17, verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? You ever, you ever pray that? About the people God's put in your life? What am I going to do with this man that you've given me, Lord? What am I going to do with these kids? What am I going to do with these co-workers of mine? What am I going to do? Well, Moses was taking his complaints to the right place. And I suggest you do the same. Here comes the instruction. And the Lord said to Moses, well, I forgot this, the, the, the funniest part. What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Okay? So the, 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 they're growing restless. The people, I mean, and you're talking, it's easy to get down on the children of Israel. You know, they're always complaining. They're always complaining. You ever, you ever try dying of thirst? Anybody ever try that? That's a fun treat. Anyone ever try dying of starvation? Uh, 
No. <laughs> I would complain too, right? I complain if, there's, if Nikki doesn't, when she makes the soup, see? The soup is fine. Thank you for the soup. I, 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 I require bread to go with the soup. Columbus Bakery, squishy soft bread that it's warm. I can stick my whole face into the loaf, you know, that kind of bread. And I require that so that I can dip it into the thing. And, and if, if, I don't, if I'm not provided with that, immediately it just, little grumbling comes out of me. You know, what, maybe I'll just die, you know? I worked all day. I worked all day. I guess I'm just a dog, you know. I'm just your government mule, you know. I just bring home the goods. You kick me and stick me in the stable, you know. These people are starving. These people are dying of thirst. They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. There is a legitimate, real need there. There is a legitimate, real need. And I want you to notice in God's treatment of the people of Israel, he's never angry with them. He gets angry with them about other things. Different things. But he's never angry with them for being people. He's not angry with them for being thirsty and then complaining. He's not angry with them for being hungry and then complaining. But he's given Moses to them to be a leader to show them the proper way to go about dealing with that which you need. Lord, what do I do? Lord, please provide for us. Lord, they're ready to stone me. (laughs) Lord, please help. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 5, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock. Now I want you to notice this. Who's talking to Moses? God is talking to Moses. And he says to him, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. Now, no one was going to see God. In fact, Moses, when he asked to see God's face, God told him very plainly, no one can see my face and live. And what did God mean by that? Because we're sinful men and women, because we, are, we have sin in our lives, all of us, and we're tainted by that, God's holy perfection and our sin cannot be in the same space at the same time. When we talk about eternal separation from God, it's not God's taking all the people that he hates and throwing them into hell. The eternal separation that we talk to, most aptly described in a spiritual way, is that God is holy and righteous. He is the dawn disc detergent. When you drop the dot of dawn disc detergent in the greasy pot, you know the commercial? That's what happens. If I stand in God's presence with sin in my heart, guess what happens to me? I'm toast. It's not because God hates me. It's because his nature is perfect holiness. And what is my nature? How do you know? That was quite an assumption, you know. You know me well, that's why. What's my nature? Sin. And I can't stand before a holy God. That's why the blood of Jesus. That's why the sacrifice of the cross, my friends. So that as I receive him as my Lord and Savior, Lord, I receive that gift of salvation, that free gift, that blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless and, uh, the spotless and perfect lamb who was sacrificed for me. I receive that. I accept that. Lord, allow his blood in a spiritual way to cover me and to atone for my sins. And that's exactly what he does. And now... As the Bible says, those of you who were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. And because of his blood, now I can enter, the Bible says, boldly into God's presence. And I can stand before him and I can call out to him and I can call him my father because I'm covered in the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. The all-important sacrifice. That's how we draw near to him. So God is here in spirit. I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Numbers. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam, who was Moses' sister, died there and was buried there. Uh, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Now, there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And, and, and as you guys in your own personal study read between Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, they could call this chapter, here we go again. Okay? So they gathered against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now what they are referring to is back in Numbers chapter 16, there was a man named Korah, does that ring a bell? who rose up in rebellion against Moses and said, why is it that only Moses gets to speak to us on God's behalf or speak to God on our behalf? There should be others of us. Moses takes too much on himself. We're just as good as Moses. There's nothing that makes Moses any better than we are. And they were absolutely right, except for one thing. God called Moses. He didn't call Korah. God anointed Moses. He didn't anoint Korah. And so God sends up this whole challenge and this whole thing and comes and Korah and all of his families and the people that are with Korah stand on one side and Moses and all the people who are with Moses stand on the other side of the congregation and they call out to the Lord and the God, the Bible says in in, in Numbers chapter 16 that God opened up the earth and all of the multitudes who were with Korah descended down into the bowels of the earth and were no more. Now, I want to preface what, I'm about, what we're about to read by saying to you this. Moses' sister has just died, and they've been through some stuff together, right? She just died. Not too long before this, he had to deal with Korah's rebellion. And now once again, the people come to Moses, and they're griping, and they're complaining, oh, that we would have died. And they side themselves with Korah the rebel. Moses is a little annoyed, as you can imagine. Verse 5, listen to what they say here. Uh, Verse 4, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Can you imagine? 
Why have you brought us out of Egypt to this evil place? Why have you taken us out of sin and bondage and brought us into this place where we approach the promised land? Wow. Is it not a place of, uh, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Wow. So what is it that Moses did that was so egregious compared to what the people were doing that God said, Moses, you just disqualified yourself from coming into the promised land, from leading the people into the promised land. And remember what he said, you did not hallow my name before the people. You did not hallow my name. Now, the first time in the wilderness of sin when the people are thirsty and they're thirsty and they begin to grumble and they begin to complain because of their thirst, God instructs Moses to strike the rock. And when he strikes the rock, water flows from the rock and the people, uh, their thirst is alleviated. Now, um, a couple of, uh, I want to I look at John chapter 4. Verses 10 and then 13 to 14. <clears throat> this is Jesus with the woman at the well in Samaria. And he answered and said to her, this is John 4:10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. John 4:13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 2 and 4 says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, listen to this, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, earlier in Jesus' ministry, uh, and this was in John chapter 6, you can make note of that, and, and that's a good chapter to go home and read. Jesus Christ calls himself the bread come down from heaven. 
And this is where Jesus begins to talk to the people about eating his flesh, that his flesh is spiritual food and that his blood is spiritual drink. And the people begin to get freaked out by it because of what Jesus is saying. You understand, these are religious Jews and Jesus is talking about eating him. Okay? That's no good. That's no bueno. Okay? In, in, in like the year zero <laughs> on our calendar in Israel. Okay? You don't eat people. Definitely. You still don't, I don't think. It's, you're supposed to eat people. But you definitely don't eat, eat, eat flesh and you don't drink blood. Blood is forbidden. Right? Everything has to be prepared a certain way. So when Jesus is saying this to them, understand that this is scandalous. And this is the point in Christ's ministry when most of the people stopped following him. They stopped following him because this is too hard. And then Jesus, after that, read chapter John chapter 6 when you get home. When Jesus, after that, he pulls his disciples aside and he's speaking to them. And he explains to them that I speak to you words of the Spirit. I'm not talking about, you know, grilling me up and eating me. I'm talking to you about the Spirit, that my flesh and my blood. And, of course, he was speaking of his death. He was speaking of his body being broken. He was speaking of his blood being poured out. He wasn't specifically talking about communion at this point in time. It's a separate lesson from communion teaching us about the same thing. That Jesus' broken body and Jesus' shed blood is the spiritual nourishment that we need and that we must have to have eternal life. And so the first time, as Paul tells us, the rock that followed them in the desert, spiritually, obviously the rock wasn't Jesus. Like, where are you at, Jesus? I'm down here in this rock. It's a spiritual analogy. Spiritually, the rock that followed them in the desert was Christ. It was a picture. It was a symbol of the Messiah and what he would accomplish and what he would bring. This is very important stuff to God. Jesus Christ is all through the Old Testament. And this is one of the places, an important place, where God is showing us something very specific. Jesus is the rock, right? He is the foundation on which we build our faith. And if we build our foundation on the rock, we will never, ever, ever be brought to shame. And he is the living water, as he spoke to the woman at the well in Samaria. I am living water. I would give you living water. And you would never thirst again. What is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. He's speaking in spiritual terms. And so when God told Moses to strike the rock, he was speaking significantly about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, our rock, would be struck for us. And because he would be struck for us, out of him would flow the living water that gives us life. And later in Numbers chapter 20, when the people thirst again, and Moses brings their complaints before the Lord, God says to him what? Speak to the rock. In other words, ask. And Moses goes out, and in his rage and his fury, which is understandable, he strikes the rock two times. What has he just done? He struck the rock. The rock was struck once. The rock had to be struck one time. God was showing us the gospel. Jesus Christ is a one-time sacrifice for all people, for all time, for all sin. And after that, we have but to speak to him. Listen to me, Christian. Once you accept that Jesus was struck for you, that Jesus died for you, 
And then you find yourself after that in a far off place. You have only ask. You have only to ask. And he'll be right with you. That's the God that we serve. It's an important lesson that God was teaching the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 20. Moses blows it. And gosh, he kind of suffers a, a large penalty, doesn't he? As God tells him, you're not going to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Okay, so we're going to stop there, guys. Um, and we're going to do something a little different this week. Um, we're going to play a song, uh, a, a last song. <clears throat> and if you guys want to come up front and you want to pray with me, you're more than welcome to do so. If you want to pray with Dad, you're more than welcome to do so. We're all going to stand together. Why don't we all stand up? And if you want to just spend some time right now before we leave this place, just praying to God, talking to God, worshiping Him in song right now, and if these words, if these things that we've talked about today, if, there's, if it's resonating in your heart, speak to God about it. You know, we don't want to just, just be like the man who looks at his reflection in the mirror and then goes his way forgetting what he looks like, right? So contemplate on these things. Think about these things. Think about what has been accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, uh, and, 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 and just worship him. Okay, go ahead, Chuck. Let's play that song. Lay down your hurt, lay down your